actually the other the other thing that somebody else in the back channel said was that it used to be the venture rule of thumb don't invest in companies based in las vegas santa barbara or florida rationale was that people love people love those places for lifestyle and you don't want an entrepreneur who thinks about work-life balance but those were the rules from, from 20 years oh, ago. That, that person would be canceled. We're that not going to say who that person canceled. was that wrote that. What's cooking here from the back of my car? <laughs> this week's episode is brought to you by Volvo. Any acoustic problems oh. you hear, Volvo. I had very meticulous plans for how today was going to go, none of which have come to pass, but I would not let this appointment um, get in the way, or this appointment, of uh, the rest of my hellacious day. So here we are, and I apologize for the... Volvo. I'm actually sitting in the back because it's too hot in the front. So here we go. You need a a dog mode like Tesla has. Then it keeps it cool even when you're gone from the car. Yes, it never would have Volvo paid us, not Tesla, Brit. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm trying to work on our next brand partnership. (laughs) Yeah. And the reason you can hear the cars whizzing by is if I close the windows, I would actually suffocate. So, um, Anyway, but I'm really excited to talk tech. I feel like a lot of things are going on. And so, um, yeah, welcome to everyone out there to this week's episode of More or Less. Uh, We got a full compliment. We're really hanging on, team. We've got Sam (laughs) um, back in the pool house with a great light set up. And the Warren. Look at that. I learned how to use a microphone, too. Big, big, big news. Well, this is actually a great point, Sam, because we want to thank all our listeners out there who give us all the feedback, including about our sound quality. So we, we really take it to heart. So keep it coming. But don't judge us on this week's sound quality because some of us are remote no. <laughs> or in a car. So next yeah. week is going to be all professional mics. <laughs> yeah, this week is about this week is about the knowledge, guys. And I think we're really going to bring it with the knowledge because our, our back channel has been firing. There is so much going on. Um, uh, Britt, I saw your very enthusiastic Instagramming about the Instacart IPO. Um, double Insta. And, double Insta. Oh my God. Insta squared. And, um, yeah, so we're going to talk IPOs. I think we're also going to talk a little bit of the startup scene. I know our viewers out there love kind of our pulse on some trends. And I think there's some interesting things going on and, and who knows where else this will take us. I will say, I think last week's episode about Apple and hardware was pretty prescient because this week, Amazon and Microsoft are doing their big hardware launches. Um, Disaster. Yeah, well, we know where Sam thinks. But also, for those who <laughs> like such intrigue, Amazon poached Microsoft's chief product officer as their new head of hardware. So I think that's always funny to me, these big companies poaching from each other. Wait, but, so does, um, that mean, does that mean that somebody that did a lot of servers is going to go and build consumer hardware for Amazon or am I completely misunderstanding? No, I, think it, I don't think it was a lot of service. Don't you remember the surface, Dave? Don't you have a surface? You guys have everything. Do you have oh, a the surface. surface. No, 
You, you see, Jess, as we made clear last episode, we are the, the Apple side of this uh, podcast. Yes, so the Apple I've never side. owned Microsoft anything. <laughs> I'd probably, by the way, be more Microsoft rather than less Microsoft. If only because this oh, company yes, today, like, these keeps days. on growing yeah. and keeps on doing things. But um, can we just start with, though? Can I just can I just start with? I don't know. This guy has been poached at all. I'm sure he's a lovely guy. But are we really at the point? Where yeah. these companies and the recruiters are so unoriginal that when they're like, oh, we have a huge job offering, the only option is to poach like the other guy at a trillion dollar company. Like, is the talent pipeline that thin? Who lives in Seattle? It's like, that's, it's like, look, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to say, I think there is some truth to the great man theory of history, right? Like, we, we, we can talk about kind of some, but the, the idea that I, that you basically have a job, open job rack for some huge product role, you can't find anyone internally for it. Your best move is to go to one of the other three companies in the world that's a trillion dollar company. That is almost certainly, and again, this was total respect for whoever this is. I don't know this guy at all. I don't know him from a shoe, but like that is a hilarious state of the world where that is the recruiting move you make. I think this should be like the presidency where you only have a term limit and the C-suite of these major five tech companies. And then you have to like rotate off and they have to bring in somebody new. So from like a non five well, tech I think company. that the market should dictate <laughs> that, that alone. I like, uh, you don't need to like I, the last thing we want is more regulation. Come on, we might not be. Uh, uh, all, I'm more. Like, look, I'm more in for regulation. Sam. Oh no! Like, listen, don't force me to like take Wait, sides what? of the You're all in podcast. <laughs> Depends what kind of regulation. Oh my god, Britt! Really? Wow. So like regulation that you're more like regulatory capture. You're like regulation that benefits me. I like because that I can I'm understand. Just for, I think, you know, Silicon Valley's just gotten a little boring and we need to mix things up a bit. So having term limits, <laughs> being able to trade players like we talked about in another episode like Hollywood does. I'm all for I'm all for Moneyball. Great movie. Moneyball of engineers, absolutely. You know, like there's there's a lot you can do, but I just think it's funny. It's like I mean, I just just go back to this. It's like so they had some job rack, some fancy recruiting firm internally or externally. It was like, here's our list of candidates. And they're like Candidate one option, Barack Obama. It's like candidate two. It's like Steve Jobs, but he doesn't. He's a little unavailable. It's like candidate three, the guy who does this product at the other trillion dollar company. And they're like, and then like, and they're like, oh, I guess we should consider some internal candidates. So there's like Steve in accounting, and it's like, let's go with the Microsoft guy. Like, <laughs> but it turns out Steve in accounting is oh an energy God. vampire. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think you raised some really valid points about the state of the executive talent market in in <laughs> tech and beyond. Um, and yeah, I'm sure we can think of other crazy examples of this. Well, I, it's interesting because like Dave Clark, the uh, who ran Amazon uh, e-commerce, left to go to Flexport and is now on the market. It's a big question where he's going to end up. But I think he's going to end up at like one of the exact same companies. So um yeah, what can we say? Well, that's at least, but at least that's like the boomerang. It's like one thing where it's like, okay, you have some executive like, I'm going to go try something, right? They're like, they go try something. I give him credit for that, even if it didn't work at all. Um, you know, and and then he's like, okay, I'm going to boomerang because I realize, I just realized in this journey that I'm actually a big tech guy, not a startup guy, <laughs> right? But like the, I just love the meeting. I've been in that meeting where they're like, here's the six candidates of people we think can do this role. And they're like, it's like th this tiny cast of characters because yeah. people are so unoriginal. This is unoriginal. happening at Disney, by the way, too, right? <laughs> so now, like, Bob Iger, like, fired all of his successors in his previous, potential successors in his previous reign. Like, he kicked them all out. The guy he picked 
didn't pan out. And now his closest advisors are like Tom Staggs and Kevin Meyer, Mayer, who are helping advise him on what to do with ESPN out of their new venture, which seems like a backdoor audition to being the CEO of Disney again. So um, it happens outside of tech too. Well, it's also just like, I think the interesting thing about it is like, it's like if you're in that room, you know, I get that the guy's like, who's managed at scale, this complexity, blah, blah, blah. But like, there has to be someone younger and hungrier that's going to do a better job, right? Like, there's just no chance that like, this guy's already had a career. He's already made it, you know, to this. It's like the idea that like, you know, this guy who's been around the block six times and has just, tra- he's got mm. traded between, you know, the two big teams in the same role. As the right yeah. guy. Term there's limits. some young, yeah. hungry guy at Amazon who's like, fuck, I would have crushed that job and I'm here for it and I'm going to make my career on it. Instead, it's like, these senior guys get traded around That's and they're all kind point, of the same. And what these, these execs tell themselves is the company's just so complicated. There's no one else can understand the culture. Okay, well, Dave. Yeah. Advocate for the octogenarian well, CEO. That, no, I'm joking. Well, to bring up an octogenarian that I, I always appreciated was uh, Colin Powell. Uh, may he rest in peace. Um, used to give this great advice, which is that, uh, or it was really a question do you hire for potential or do you hire for experience? And that's kind of what we're talking about here, which is, you know, to Sam's point, like there's always somebody younger, hungrier that has enormous potential that you can put into these um, roles or you can go and hire for experience. And it's just, you know, a, a strategy trade-off. I tend to love hiring for potential. Um, well, yeah, it depends. You're defending the Ford or you're trying to win, right? Like, this is a, like, defend yeah. the Ford, be boring move. It's, it's like, yeah. it also is really, I learned oh, an goodness. amazing word this week, which is a, actually from the more or less back channel community, which is gerontocracy, a society ruled by old people. And, like, we clearly Wait, have... Last week was the first time you've heard this term? I've never heard the term before. It's I've a never wonderful heard word. Term. It's wonderful. Heard it's, all, it's, all, it's all over the media. It's like the well, entire I, thing I about... I guess I wasn't looking the, at the media. The point is, clearly, the, the politics is a gerontocracy. These guys can barely stand up. The question yeah. for me is, when you trade all these ex- seasons executives, is, like, are we on path just 20 years earlier to, like, tech yes. becoming a gerontocracy? What do you think is the age out limit, Sam, of being in tech? Like a tech CEO? I think think it's an energy out limit. And I think different people have different levels of energy, right? That they can continue to bring for for different reasons. So there are people, I think that, you know, well into their 60s and 70s, if they're really fucking in it for a purpose, can be really in it. I believe that of founders. I believe that of some CEOs, right? You know, Bob Iger, I don't know why he's still in it, but clearly still in it, right? In terms of like how he's, I think, right? But then I think there's this whole senior level of managers who are kind of fat and rich, you know, in like the tech world. And they're they're good people. They're smart. Like they're fine. But like figuring out how to get them out and get like the young hungry bucks in, they're going to really change things and shake things up in big tech companies. That generational transfer of, of, of drive, I think is going to be really interesting because, you know, at a certain point, especially when you can work from home or more flexibly, which means like, man, you can like kind of like control your destiny. The job's really good. I think you end up with this like fat Mm. layer of people that are totally fine, but like not in it to win. They're in it because they have, they're good at what they do and they've been around the block, you know? But Sam, but Sam, what if those people (laughs) live in Florida? Then what do you do? (laughs) 
<laughs> well, then you pay, you pay them less because they're paying less taxes. So it's, you know, you want to take their tax benefits, <laughs> yeah, right? We should. <laughs> yes. Uh, this oh, week was the man. first week I've heard that we should not ever invest in anyone, any company that's founded in Florida. So On what grounds? Um, uh, yeah. I didn't what's know that the, Summarize the thinking. There was a, it was another, it was another back channel. Topic. No, I know. I read it, but, but for, yeah, for those who oh. aren't in the back channel. Oh yeah, I need to find. I need to find it. This is the first time we're uh, we're searching back through the. Uh, so was uh, it I Miami Google, specifically, or all of Florida? Well, it was a fraud argument, right? That everybody was saying that there, like, there was like this hard rule. I guess it was a hard rule in '90s venture capital that you simply just don't invest in Florida companies that were incorporated in Florida because they most likely are fraud. Which does make sense, right? Like, I can believe culturally, I think, super low taxes. Like, you know, like, there's a whole bunch of reasons why they, they, that would probably skew fraud in Florida. But I will point out, and I just Googled it to make sure this is public knowledge, not just my knowledge, and it, thank God is, is Facebook was originally a Florida LLC, right? <laughs> and the history of that, which I actually <laughs> hilariously remember like ridiculous is, you know, it it played out. But the point is, yes, that is probably a general rule, which is if you had to make a bet, I bet that Florida skews fraud and skews bad. But, you know, candidly, if you had just invested in the Facebook LLC originally in Florida, you probably would have made up for every fraud you hit. So it's hard, hard rule to to call. (laughs) Well, actually the other, the other thing that somebody else in the back channel said was that it used to be the venture rule of thumb. Don't invest in companies based in Las Vegas Santa Barbara or Florida rationale was that people love people love those places for lifestyle and you don't want an entrepreneur who thinks about work-life balance but those were the rules from from 20 years ago that That person would be canceled we're not gonna say who that person was that wrote that well they're referencing a rule from 20 years ago to their their credit they're referring to a different era where now you can't you can't say such things I think for pandemic reasons and what we talked about a lot in the work in the uh, hybrid work um, episode, uh, this just simply is an invalid statement entirely, right? Like people live all over the place now. Well, uh, I don't know. I mean, like, look, here's the thing. Think about, are you going to be in San Francisco or Florida? Just in terms of pure signaling, forget what the company does, forget the people, just say like, what is the signaling? The Florida signaling is, right? Basically, you like no income taxes, right? You're you're an optimizer. You want that last dollar, right? Um, well, that's but why is crypto? It's like the same thing. Like crypto is all in Puerto Rico. Like all these mm-hmm. crazy, like the, the part of crypto in that went Portugal. to Puerto Rico were the people who were like optimizers who were just like kind of looking for that last dollar and angle. It like breeds a certain mentality of like I'm going to optimize to save a few points on taxes. The Silicon Valley mentality is I'm going to live at one of the most expensive places in the world. Fuck it. Mm. I don't care, right? Because that's where the talent base is. So I'm just going to grow the pie and I'll grow my way out of the problem, right? So I do think there is like a, a marginal mentality of like, are you the type of person that wakes up and they're like, I'm pissed about paying an extra few points in taxes? Or are you the type of person that wakes up and thinks about how do you grow the pie biggest? And then where does that bias you living, right? Um, that is not to be completely dismissed. It doesn't mean there aren't great people everywhere and you can't do anything from lots of different places and things like that. But I do think that there is like a mentality that is worth reading into where um, people guys, choose to live. Isn't Miami the new Silicon Valley? What happened to all that? No, that was so okay. 2021, Jess. I mean, I actually think we published... Yeah, we're over that now. I, all, all the, the Ferraris, Ferraris got, are gone. I think <laughs> this shows you, I think this is true. I think 
in the depths of the onset of the pandemic, when we were panicking, the information published a Miami Exodus list, where we were like keeping track of all the prominent tech execs who left for like Miami and Austin and all those places. And then we had to do like the the Exodus boomerang list because they all came back. So I was yeah, gonna say when's the when's list. the coming back list? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I look, think I we mean, did it like two weeks later, if I recall. Memory service. <laughs> it's like there there is, you know, people are passing around right now in, you know, all these channels be like, Silicon Valley's back. I'm going to fifty AI events in the next three days Sam, in Silicon we Valley. We both have events tonight. It's to I mean, the event thing has gone way up. Like well, the thing I was gonna you say, had an event guess, last night. So many yeah, events. I guess that's true. So I can't make fun of the events things that I'm going to two events this week. And then Thursday we're going to another event, but we're leaving uh, town. Wow. Yeah. Well, That's four. Not, four I've never months. shied from hypocrisy. So what I'd say is like the, <laughs> the the thing that I think is interesting is people are like it's back and like you need to be in Silicon Valley and like there's some truth to it. But I also in my head I'm like whoever's going to these 50 events is like the worst people. It's like go to your hole <laughs> and build stuff and like every once in a while go to an event, right? Well, um, you have to hire salespeople, Sam. What? You have to hire salespeople. Well, yeah, if you were Kevin, call, can we say that? Like, Kevin went to every event back at Facebook, yes. like when he ran sales at Facebook. And like, that's just what like an awesome CRO or head of sales does. And so it's called pounding the, the pavement, pounding the pavement. Yes. Shout out to Kevin Collarin. Yes. For those of you who don't know him, began his career in sales. Long now, time. Kevin really is, I will I, to pay Kevin a compliment since I didn't bring Kevin up. It's Brit did. He truly is one of the world. He is. He is. I think we can all agree one of the greatest salesmen of our generation. I think he is. I think he's number one for sure. No, he's number one. Which which I do. I will say in a moment of. of, We'll see if he listens to this. Is like I truly appreciate because Kevin being really good at that means that I can be more Sam. I can make his (laughs) job harder with abandon. Because I know that he's going to pick up the pieces. When you run an advertising <laughs> business, you need a CRO that is at everything. That it goes when you everywhere. run a venture capital firm, you need a salesperson that's at everything. It's yes, the same business. We just too. sell well, commodity like, money. I'm just telling you that not everyone needs to be in their hole. <laughs> I want to be in my pool house hole. <laughs> but go. you don't. But Sam you don't because... Hole. You are pounding the pavement at tech events. So there's the hypocrisy. So I, I think things are coming back. But that was actually what Wait, I, I guess I want to know what tech events does Sam Lesson think are worth attending this week? That's well, actually okay, really okay, good information. I, I think I'm going to two. One, one was a tech event, but it wasn't really a tech event. It was just the, one of the guys who has created all of my favorite TV shows was in town. Uh, it is the definition like, of a tech event. It is a bunch of VCs meeting with wait. a famous person from Hollywood. That is a tech event through and through. Sam likes yeah. like Japanese reality shows. No, I asked him. I asked him about. Oh, this my wasn't own. a porn producer, right? No, Sam? this guy. No, this guy. He's been involved in <laughs> in Silicon Valley, which is funny. In Mythic Quest, which is great. In my favorite show ever, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. In Wrexham, he's like done all these, you know, Rob McElhaney stuff, and like I just absolutely love that canon. I asked him about Dave. The canon. This is like my. These are my people. And like he was like, yeah, I almost worked on Dave. Dave's a great show. Anyway, so oh, I. Dave's the best show. We gotta anyway, plug so it. We gotta plug it. And then tonight, some Stanford kids were like, "Will you come speak at our Stanford thing event?" And I was like, N- "No." And then I looked at the list, and there's a bunch of people that I actually think are pretty good who had done it. So then I said, "Sure." So I'm gonna go talk to a bunch of Stanford kids and probably be depressing. 
Why would it be depressing? Because well, like, like, my, my money is like, they're going to be like, tell us all of your favorite AI ideas. And then I'm going to get to say I nothing. See. No Got AI. It. You're going to just rain on all their AI dreams. I love it. That's the Tell children. them to listen to more or less if they need some optimism. <laughs> yeah, they need the, the other more. side. So can we talk about IPOs? I'm a, yeah. Yes, Let's we can. I mean, I just, but I, I'm not sure we really wrapped the talent point, which I think is a very good one. And I think we should maybe circle back to, because I'm curious, maybe, maybe in the comments or our listeners can let us know examples of companies that have successfully gone the younger kind of generation, um, gone potential versus experience and how it's panned out. So I'd like, I'd like some case studies of that. Um, and so please let us know find us on the X in the comments, et cetera. Okay. IPOs. So, um, IPO window Serato. That's my line. <laughs> wow. Look at you. That you rehearsed close. that. Good job. You, you I came up that. with that moments ago. Yeah. Okay. But let's, let's lay the land. Cause not everyone breathes IPOs like we do. So the, this week we have the long awaited Instacart IPO. Um, Instacart's one of those companies that like, Airbnb was kind of one of these during the pandemic, like it could have gone at a number of moments and the paperwork was ready, but then shit hit the fan in six different directions. And we actually have great reporting about how Apoorva, the founder of Instacart, we being the information, um, uh, clashed with Sequoia over IPO timing. And that was a big part of his uh, leaving the company and Fiji Simo, who we all know um, from different walks of life and is a great leader, um, took over. So, but like, I, I give that background because there's been a lot of drama, a lot of pent up anticipation. Um, you know, their CFO, Nick Giovanni joined from Goldman like eons ago in part to take this company public. Um, so oh, I didn't know Nick there. was over there. Yeah, definitely. And, um, but in addition, and then we'll, we'll turn over to Instacart. A lot of, lot of classic have, players. Yeah. Classics. I love that. That's such a nice way to say older. Um, not that Nick no, is old. Just, He's prob- probably my like age. The da- they're like the Daryl strawberries of Moneyball are all there. Ryan Sandberg. But this yeah, is also, yeah. maybe this is part of the problem. But anyway, then we also have the ARM one, ARM IPO, uh, and then Clavio, um, uh, a really interesting company uh, that's like on fire, actually. Um, but uh, in terms of its business model and lots coming. So, so we're seeing this flurry. I, I have used, but I want to hear from Brett and Dave first and then Sam, and then I'll share mine about like, what are we seeing? And does this amount to like a full scale opening or what's striking you? Okay. I'll start first by just being a more, okay. I just want to give credit to Fiji who you know, came into this business while it was down, like shrinking 16% year over year within two years, got, got it profitable, had like five straight quarters of growth, took it public. One of like less than 1% of, of the founders who took a company public in the last 10 years were female. So like, I just think she, she hasn't gotten the credit she deserves in turning this company around to the extent of which they can even go public, much less through a pandemic. And, um, and I do think it's interesting that like, I would bet you, I don't actually know that I should have read the S one, but like what percentage of their users are primarily women <laughs> and moms. And I just feel like, I don't know, Ooh. there's like, there's something about that, that like really resonated with at least a lot of the women I was speaking to, which is like, 
oh, it's so great to see a female CEO of this company, even though it wasn't the founder, but got to take it public. And, you know, despite, I think, having a lot of losses for some of the late stage investors, you know, at least she got it to an outcome. <laughs> but I think the big question is, like, is this even <laughs> an outcome or is this like a, a stop along the way? Um, okay, and Dave, so that's you want to fact check debate. it? Uh, I agree with all of that. I think, Dave, do you want to, uh, some of the losses. So like the last money was put in around 36, 39, and it's maybe nine, 39, 39, 39. to nine. What's it trading at now? Nine. It's right. It's right. Skimming the price. Not 30 skimming the and price. 10 cents. Basically yeah, so, everyone, everyone, since 2015 is underwater yeah effectively yeah so since the series c and those people yeah. before are diluted the the yeah. look yeah yeah i mean and even even the even the seed is only up well not only but up 55 percent. so 55x you know 55x yeah well return on ipo price i'm looking at a chart um it's got to be 55x yeah. which is fine yeah it's not. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not. Our, it's not the best win ever, but it's fine for seed. It's fine, Dave. What yeah, do you like? What do you make of this IPO stuff? Like, what? What's your reaction to this moment? Uh, I, you know, I don't know my opinion um, right now. Uh, I think that, I mean, just staring at this chart, it says the story that everyone's been talking about a lot over the last um, many months, which is how hard. Uh, it was over the last even like five years to do this, do this growth business. Should anybody have been in this growth growth business at all? And I guess the thing that I am thinking about a lot is I just think that these companies are staying private for too long. And mm -hmm. I'm much more interested in that question, which is how do we fix the incentives of the ecosystem so that we are more incentivized to get these pump companies public sooner. I know there are a ton of structural issues. We could get into all of that. But just looking at this chart, I mean, we're talking about one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and a tender offer, eight, nine, ten rounds of funding since 2012 um, before this company went public. Um, and I just think that's just an unbelievably long road and it creates so much pain in the ecosystem and inability to understand what's going on. Um, and then you get to the public market and here's all these growth, growth stage investors that just are completely underwater um, to yeah. the tune of something like, you know, 50 billion or $50 million. Like, it's just like, a really insane amount of capital um, and investing risk. in the IPO and investing well, in the IPO, which is about optics. It's all about optics and that like, yeah. well, I think it's more than that. I mean, I think like, look, to just jump in on two things. One, I got to do the Fiji congratulations thing along with Brett because Fiji's great. And I would say actually candidly, if you yeah, wanted to find people, I meant people, to say that too. Yeah. Yeah. Pro we all what, say what do we, we have? We that. need like the so, unison like props that isn't like hooray, snapping, hooray, but whatever. Fiji. Hooray, Fiji. Yeah, Fiji. Fiji serious credit. To tie to the first conversation, Fiji, when that board put Fidrin, she was a young, hungry buck bat, right? Yeah, she Fiji was. was like, she ran a product team at Facebook, right? She, she's a great personality. Yes. And like candidly, even her doing those product jobs at Facebook, I mean, her rise at Facebook was so rapid from a product marketing yeah. person into like pretty senior roles. So I think she was someone who was consistently bet on her career as an up-and-comer that wasn't an obvious choice for anything. Mm. So I think there are bets that happen. 
you know, getting it public, which was her mandate coming in, you know, she did it, right? Um, you know, I don't think any way anyone wanted it, including her, I'm sure, although we haven't ever, I've never talked with her about it, but like it, she did get it out. Um, but look, I think the whole thing with the investing is, is I, I point out two things. One is this is like a fake IPO, right? Um, in terms of how it's being structured. Like, yes, they need to get public and they're getting public and they're technically public. Yes, all true. Tiny mm-hmm. float, right? Um, 6%. You know, set it up you know, set it up in a way where like the people actually putting money in to take it public and writing the checks for the round are the exact same people that were their private market investors in a different instrument. So it's not like there was like, oh my goodness, all these hedge funds are customers. And their customers. customers. I don't grudge them. It's still a path to getting there. I think it's like, if you have to do it, you have to do it. But it's hardly the, we now have a business that all the pension funds want to own and the public market investors. It's really a, we need to be public and we can do it with the same investors we were doing it with before, right? And kind of structure it. Yeah. So you look at it, you're like, of course there was a pop on day one because they structured it for the optics on day one. The problem is I don't think, I don't know who's going to buy it next, right? Because the reality is, is I assume, and I don't know this, that the funds that went in with their private capital like, will write, underwrite the IPO, will put money into the IPO. It's not like they're market makers and going to hold back capital and support mm-hmm. the price forever, right? Like in crypto, you'd see some people say like, we're going to support the price on something and have like a long-term hedge fund mentality. These are private market late stage investors who are willing to write another check to take something public, yeah. but they're not designed as hedge funds to do price support. So that's mm-hmm. that's one thing to really think about in terms of how this plays out. The second I'd say is it's not only the hedge fund problem, it's like who on earth wants to own a small to mid-sized public tech equity with service risks today, right? In a world Not where today, it, 18 months you know, ago, two years well, ago, like, maybe. You know, because, because at least then there was in theory unlimited upside, like take arm, right? The other one that went public, at least there's a meme stock potential there. We were like, okay, if we all believe AI and this is some proxy of NVIDIA for some reason, then there's like an infinite upside story. But in a world where the big uh, platforms, the Facebooks, the, sorry, the metas, the Googles, the Amazons, are really going to be obviously huge winners from AI, and there's no cap on how big they can get anymore. Like the trillion dollar barrier is blown. If you're a big, if you're a public person, just plow money to those names, right? If you want to go private or early, there's a thousand more interesting opportunities. So it's kind of like a classic: the middle drops out, which is I don't know who wants to own these stocks anymore, right? And like, yeah. if it's the supply and demand dynamics on the equity side, forget the fundamentals of the company, right? Like, just are very negative for I think anyone who exists in that one to ten to $20 billion range with a good story about growth, but not a killer story, right? Which I think is decidedly where Instacart lies, you know? Well, the the point with like the large caps is really important because like when those were um, super, super, super expensive um, yeah. on the public markets, you, you saw more demand uh, in, other, in other ranges. But like that hasn't been the case, although maybe that's becoming the case. So I also kind of think these are fake IPOs for different reasons. Like they don't, they represent, I mean, Arm represents like very mature established company leader in its area that just like, you know, is somewhat of a unique case given its whole history. Um, Instacart also fairly mature as a business, right? Dave pointed out the longevity, like how long the company's been around. Um, Clavio may be a little bit different, but like it's, you know, these sort of bellwethers are testing the water companies, I think are, have very unique properties that won't necessarily apply to other companies. 
And it's also so clear and, and props to Goldman Sachs for how they manage these IPOs. And I think Goldman was involved or leading, you know, most of, of what we're seeing right now, although technically ARM didn't have a lead left, but like, you know, it just comes across as like perfectly managed, you know, the pop is like just the amount, but then a day or two later, they're trading below the picture isn't so good. So I think the lesson to learn like continues to be, there's some interesting things happening, but it's very company specific. And, you know, when we talk to kind of our community in the back channel about how entrepreneurs are feeling like entrepreneurs are still not like banging on the doors to get out, which means there'll still be a pretty big um, constraint, I think, in supply. So yeah, if, if, if they can afford not to, and that means like hiring, you know, I, got, I literally had two calls yesterday from people I know, uh, uh, totally related, but unrelated being like, it's really hard to get startup jobs these days, like young engineers, very hard to get jobs, right? Like, you know, talking about these kind companies of like, aren't hiring because they want to keep their burn down or what? Yeah, because everyone's trying to like keep their burn. This is not a go-go time, right? This is a time yeah. of like serious focus, build for the long-term business. You know, you have all these employees get stuck at the companies forever because they can't get out of the equities. And even if they wanted to, there are no other jobs, right? Like, so it's like, it isn't that there isn't cool stuff going on, et cetera. I think the AI stuff is interesting. I don't think it benefits really the middle rung of companies. I think it benefits the huge platforms and the startups, um, but not the middle and in specific, in very specific categories of those. But um, yeah, I just think the capital markets are like meh right now from a tech perspective, right? And I totally, I personally feel it's like, like if you want to bet on AI, there's such obvious big cap to buy, right? Yeah, it's like no for problem, sure. Yeah. Right? Like, you don't need to go do the work and hunt about <clears throat> what's AI going to do to marginally Instacart's advertising business. But Sam, to the point that I was um, attempting to make, which might be overly simple, in the case of these middle, well, I don't know, what do we want to call these? The messy middle, uh, <laughs> you know, mid-care, companies. Mid-cap, mid-cap. W- wouldn't it be better if these companies went public earlier um, they developed they, a, you know, a public practice of interfacing with that part of the capital markets, like far earlier in their life the, cycle. The question is, would, would the public markets have supported these guys? I mean, my sense is the public markets would have shat all over these companies. And that the only reason they were able to burn the capital they did to go is because you found a handful of private market investors who had a thesis about lighting a few billion dollars on fire for market share, right? Like, it's like, you know, it's like, it's like Lyft, take Lyft, for instance, like Lyft has obviously been, I don't know, in the case of Instacart, maybe like Instacart, I, the other thing I didn't say is that I love the product, right? Like the product's really great. And so I think but when it's been through so much competition and so much challenge and like that really, it's true, but they came out what, on top, right? But and, the part of know, they, coming out on top was getting the advertising and software business running, which was expensive. So um, but anyway, and look, you know, look, supermarkets run advertising. Like that's actually a part of all supermarket businesses, right? Like that's, you know, end cap yeah. businesses are great margins for them. So it's not like that, you know, it's fine. Right. It's just not like a banger story. And like, I was going to make the point about like Lyft. It's like Lyft has obviously been financially a huge disappointment, right? Like for dollars invested, like some people might've gotten rich on it by timing it right and being in and out and lucky. But the reality is, is enormous amount of money went in far more than their current market cap, right? And cash just burning it to like, try to like build a business there. I kind of doubt the public market would have supported that behavior, right? Like I think you needed late stage private capital to try to pull that off. Right. Um, which is partially why like it couldn't have been public earlier. Right. Um, 
And I think that's but is it better helped. off in the posi- is it better off in the position it's in now? It's not clear to me. Well, no, I think it's done right. Like as yeah, a business, that's what it's I, like as a product. That's what I'm saying. Like, should it should it have lasted this long? You know, like I don't know, Sam. Like we were. I think this may have been before you joined Slow, but Kevin and I were actually at the table for the Instacart investment, and oh, we could put this. I, we could we could put this in the anti portfolio. I think you might have just. Come around. No, no, we talked sure. to, I, I was involved at that point, but that, that the story there is a little more complicated about why we didn't invest in Instacart. It had well, a little yeah, bit to we do had a, we had a competitor, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, DoorDash yeah. and, and we, I'm sorry, we and had, Postmates, uh, really. It was Postmates. Postmates. It was Postmates. But in all of the cases of all, these are all good examples of, you know, Postmates had to go to Uber. It became part of Uber's stack. Um, you know, we made a little return on that, but, you know, they've all kind of suffered the same fate. The, um, maybe like the role of the capital market timing, maybe the role of the capital market timing is just overplayed, right? Like in the sense of like the good companies are going to be good companies, the great companies are going to be great companies. I mean, I've heard, I don't, I don't have, but any I guess what I'm, what I'm maybe arguing it. for is that the capital, I think maybe Sam's arguing for this from a different angle, but I think what I'm arguing for is that the, the public markets force rigor in business that the late stage capital markets do not. And in the case of some of these types of businesses that should be rigorous earlier um, yeah. or find another way out, like to me, that's like kind of this grossly oversimplified way of looking at I don't know. That, I, I don't, I agree. So I'm on the board of Life360, which um, went public on the ASX, the Australian Stock Exchange, years ago. And you could argue it was one of the early mid-cap stage companies. It still kind of is. But like, I think the rigor has actually... Uh, detracted from the otherwise like acceleration of the company because of yep. all the oversight and everything else really? that comes along with it. I well, thought you would say the really? opposite of that. And I thought, I think if Chris were on this podcast, he would say the opposite. You know, I, I think, think he actually, he, I think Chris would say it was a helpful source of liquidity, but like it came with all of this extra burden of like, you well, know, dealing with the markets the and making trade offs and decisions. It's also right. just like being public is very expensive. Like it costs you like what? Probably 5 million bucks a year in compliance just to be yeah, This public, stat right? was yeah. in the back channel and they said it was like one to two, one to three. No, or something. it was more. That I made this point and someone tried to say, what did you capitalize that at? And we went down the whole rabbit hole on that. But it's, I mean, if you think about the NPV of the cost of compliance, it's enormous. It's like, it's way, and that's because of Sarbanes-Oxley and a bunch of shit from, you know, the tech bubble era, right? That like kind of came crashing down, but made it very expensive and practical and impractical practical, right, for most companies to be public early. Well, what I'm saying, though, is also like, I I, I remember ASX even came and courted Britain Co. at a point in time. I think like their minimum revenue to go public on ASX had to be like something like 15 to 20 million or I don't know, like low. And so it's very much like a, well, you could have this liquidity if you can't raise in the US. And I just, it doesn't feel like the right move either. And so like, I don't, like there isn't, there doesn't seem to be a right move. Like otherwise more of these tech companies would have gone public on an international stock exchange. In the end of the day, look, the whole point of capital markets, like they have all these tack on effects for companies because people get comped in options and all this other stuff mm-hmm. that like ends up really going through the culture. But at the end of the day, it's just money, right? And companies want to go wherever the money is cheapest, right? And like it turns out for the last bunch of years, the money was cheapest because there was a bunch of people in a zero interest rate environment who had 
gobs of it looking to deploy it who may have been, may or may not have been making a ton of money on fees either way and said, look, if I have a credible story, don't go deal with the overhead and compliance and bullshit of being public. Like I will just give you the money. Right. And like, yep. look, there's a few, few of those people who are going to be really right and make a ton of money on that. Right. Like, you know, because it turns out it was better for everyone, but like knowing who's right and who's wrong about where to shovel money up front is like real. If, if people knew that they would make a ton of money, right? Like this is kind of the, the messiness of capitalism. You know, I don't, late stage capital is no longer the cheapest capital probably, but to Brit's question, the question is it, then who is right? It's not the public market. The U S public market is not the cheapest capital right now. You know, you can look at every, all these IPOs, my favorite being Buzzfeed trading at 33 cents right now down from $10. It's like, you know, Buzzfeed's entire market cap is $50 million, right? Like that's not the cheapest capital for them, right? Even today. Right. So like, you know, it's just going to be a hunt for that. It's not it's not public. It, it may actually hilariously still be private market late stage investors, even though that capital is way more expensive than it was, because I don't know, the Australian stock market liquidity to value is like a tough one. Right. Like, you know, yeah. it could have been crypto, but not in this era. Right. Like, um, I mean, I think in the game. case of Life360, it's worked out like it's like the company's done quite well. And so. Um, there are success stories. It's just added like an extra layer of rigor Definitely. and oversight that was hard. So, I mean, for an we, earlier stage company. Um, I don't know. Maybe he will get in trouble for saying this, but we've heard uh, Reed Hastings, who you know, uh, I think so many people admire as a leader, really passionately advocate that companies should go public way earlier. Basically, says that you're not running a business until you're a public company and says that many of the kind of, Ah, um, so I agree with Reed. Yeah. Smart guy. And he said, but he, he, he says many of the kind of concerns that companies have, like um, losing control of their shareholder base, just don't play out. So for example, he was saying that turns out you still do have a lot of, uh, you can't pick your shareholders per se, but you can build relationships with the types of long-term shareholders that you want. So, um, now it was a completely different era. And like, I think Netflix went public at like $500 million, $200 million, like so, so early, but, um, it does seem like that view and maybe why Reed argues it so passionately has like completely fallen out of favor. But Dave, when you were talking about like, sorry, Sam, you want to say something on that? Well, just the, the interesting thing to me is like, the question is also just like, you talk about power and dynamics around being public. There's no question. You take a bunch of stories that when you have private market investors and empowered CEOs, in some ways, like they have so much latitude that they can do really stupid things or can be captured by their employees even. Right. Or the employees want to do X or Y and they're like, I guess we have to. Right. Whereas the public market, like just destroying the stock the day after something gets announced or like they haven't done the cuts they need to do or whatever. Like there is discipline that I think the public market can probably aid a management team in, in some scenarios. But I just think until you know what your business is and who you are and you're a grown up, it's really hard to deal with that, you know? But yeah, do you become I mean, a grown up after one, five once... years or 20 years, Dave? And we're almost going to wrap guys because Sam and I are late for a meeting. Just, so this what, is was your, what was your prior question? <laughs> well, I thought, you, you know, you were talking about the rigor of the public markets, but a lot, a lot of our conversations on this pod have been about how the venture game is changing and how investors are expecting different kind of benchmarks and bringing rigor, right? So 
Um, I mean, obviously there's a difference, but if we're, we're also seeing a late stage market that's because they're eyeing their exit potential, looking for more of the things that the public markets are in terms of profitability and so on. Yeah. I mean, I think this brings together a whole bunch of different points we've made across several of the pods. Um, you know, going back to, uh, Sam's, uh, industrial venture capital, uh, the industrial, you know, model is sort of over, like one of the problems is that whether you're a founder or an investor, um, if your company isn't doing well, or it's sort of drifting off into the future, you can kind of pass it along to the next investor or this is how it, this is how it used to be. Right. And you could try to mark it up or whatever, but this isn't always necessarily the best thing for the founders and the business where, you know, if you're a public market and you're forced to apply the rigor of the, of the public markets and the reporting cycle, you know, you might have a bad quarter and therefore your stock goes down and that actually increases demand potentially for your stock and causes capital to flow into the business. And this is something that doesn't happen in the private side of the market, right? Like we talk about companies needing to have down rounds or a lot of what's going on in the market today is that companies need to attract capital to hire the employees that Sam's talking about, but they can't do it because there's no structural way to um, attract the capital into the business other than doing this like really difficult, you know, mechanation around structuring a down round rather than if you're just public, the price goes down, capital comes in, you can keep moving on. You had a bad quarter, you know, you move on and you try to execute better next time. And I I think that to me is one of the hardest and most difficult parts of uh, having to go public so late. So I buy that day, but I will say there is one interesting thing I think I've experienced and I'm sure you have too which is that is how the market should work, right? Like the price goes down and there's more demand because the thing is cheaper. In practice, yep. what actually happens a lot of time is price equals quality. So like the price goes down and then you can't hire anyone, right? Ironically, people want to work at like the thing, where, like you get all the job applications when the stock price is too high and none of it when the stock price is too high, too low. And so there's a really weird dynamic where like what you're saying is exactly what should happen. You should have a bunch of talent that's like, I want to come in because the stock price is good. You should have a bunch of capital that's like, I want to come in because the price is low. But actually in practice, almost exactly the opposite happens, which is when it's low, you go lower. And when it's high, you go higher, right? Hmm. Okay, let's give Britt the final word here. Britt, any closing thoughts? We've been out of territory. Oh my gosh. Okay, I think that the closing thought is that there's still a big undecided um, part of what's going on. We have the market and the industry that are both at odds right now in terms of like the market is tough and we don't know when it's going to open back up. And the industry doesn't seem to be structured correctly. Uh, And perhaps there is a new way that we all need to sort out as a Silicon Valley technology venture capital community to figure out where we can take these companies next. Oh, my God. You you, you were analytical and optimistic at the same time. What we do just as women, we can fucking summarize in a single 30 second clip. These men just drone on over and over again. We've got shit to do, Jess. You got a meeting. I gotta go do shit for my kids. Like you gotta summarize. No, no, but also it's amazing because I sort of agree with that. Yeah. And it's a good juxtaposition of the journalist point of view to the investor point of view. Because from my point of view, like it's a fascinating moment where there are going to be a lot of lessons learned. Um, and so anyway, I try to tell the stories. You guys try to make the money um, and it all works. But uh, 
Cool. Okay, team. Well, this has been another fun one. Thanks for putting up with the audio quality, the background noise. I'm about 110 degrees sitting in the back of my car. <laughs> it's like Sam's sauna, which I finally tried and is excellent. And um, we want to thank everyone for listening. Give us reviews, stars, feedback. A thanks to the back channel. Um, and tune in next week, which if all goes as planned, which is saying a lot in our lives, um, we will have our first substitute and we'll keep it a mystery. The mystery substitute. One of us will be MIA. And um, third wheel. We'll be, um, we'll be bringing Everyone will guess who's going to be MIA. It's kind of obvious. No, I don't think we can guess. <laughs> We're all very busy people. Um, some people <laughs> like to climb mountains. And we'll leave it at that. Dad. Okay. I like to climb mountains. Okay. I've climbed so many mountains. Yeah. I'm very good. Bye, guys. Have fun. Bye, guys. <laughs> If you enjoyed this show, please leave us a virtual high five by rating it and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. Find more information about each episode in the show notes and follow us on social media by searching for at more or less, at Dave Morin, at Lesson, at J Lesson, and as for me, I'm at Brit. See you guys next time.